Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about keeping records, why you should do it, and how you can do it. In our spotlight, we're going to look at how male water hemp traits may be the key to their demise for it and Pomeranth. Egg History Minute, we're going to talk about the history of yield monitors. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events. We'll wrap it all up with our egg idiom of the week. So with me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Rocking it out there, Todd? Yeah. So Merry Christmas. We are recording this pre-Christmas, but when you will hear it, it is post-Christmas. So Merry Christmas. Or on Christmas. Or on Christmas. Depending on if you consider Christmas Eve or Christmas Day Christmas. The way church services are now, there's a lot of Christmas Eve Eve services. So Wednesday, Tuesday services. There's, there's social distancing, so they added services. Everybody's going to have to keep their cars running if they have outdoor <laughs> church tomorrow. Because yeah. she's going to be a bit nippy. It's nice today, like 40-something. Yeah, today's... Just overcast and a little... Take, well, not raining yet. Yeah, yeah take windy. that wind away. It'd be... It'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be old soil sampling today. Be nice if we had some sunshine to go with our forties, but oh well. I saw a farmer tiling on the way here. Yep, yep. Saw some tiling going on. Is your snow gone? In, in pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, it yeah. rained pretty hard this morning at my house. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, as when I took the dog out, it just started downpour. It was great. Yep. Dog didn't like it. Nice little snow eater. So, so we get to see the axe game that we we thought we weren't going to see. Yeah, we talked about that a handful of weeks ago about how many years in a row and. It was gone, and now it's back. Overtime game, too. That I don't think I have cool any, I don't have any fingernails left. <laughs> <laughs> Chewing them all off. <laughs> yeah. It was a good game, though. And now it's off to the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I love me some mayo. It's amazing how these bowls change. What was the Duke's Mayo Bowl? The Belk Bowl. I've never heard of that And either. as I told Max before we recorded, before that, it was called the Meineke Car Care Bowl. Car Care Bowl. I remember that one. I don't, I don't remember. I wonder how long it was the Belks Bowl. Wasn't Belky the guy on Perfect Strangers <laughs> yeah. back in the TGIF days? <laughs> that was Belky. Did he have his own bowl game? No. No, not. Bucky meets Belky. Yes. <laughs> It'll be interesting because Wake Forest is like four and four, and they haven't played, I heard, since like early November because <laughs> of COVID. <laughs> So, so we should just they're rush them? Or? Well, I don't know. They're like rusty as heck. But they're like speed. They play oh. like a really fast pace game. So so the opposite of us then? <laughs> Pretty much. And the Big Ten just cut back for Ohio State, of course. They're 21 day to 17. Oh, that's, that's a very specific number. Yes. So Jalen Berger should get to play, which is our I mean, running back that we've been waiting for. So, so it'll help us. It will help us. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. I mean, as a Big Ten fan, I'm glad that they figured that out because the money yeah. they will get from being in it props the Big Ten up. As a Badger fan, what the heck? Yeah. What the actual heck? Because, you know, if it was – well, maybe if it was switched around, they'd do the same thing because no. they'd want us there They're too. They're going to prop up whoever has the yeah. best shot. Right. But, yeah. Which did, you guys, did you guys ever have Duke's Mayo? No. Can you even get it in stores around I, here? I have no idea. I've, I've never, never even heard of it. It's just Amazon. Oh, no. it, you can we can get a bottle for ten bucks. <laughs> oh, there you go. There's our next taste test for yes. Tilt Talk Radio. All right. the mayos, some mayo during Dukes. the bowl. You have to eat a <laughs> jar of Duke's delicious Helmets. mayo. It's Wednesday next week, ten a.m., eleven a.m. Does it have real eggs in there? The mayo? customer uh, images are not great. 
it like it came in the mail and the top looks like honey and mm. the bottom looks like mayo cut you know where Ooh, it, yeah, separated. Out, it looks like a little it, separation going on yeah. Yeah. a little oil the mayo it. is separated and is not usable well that's not true by daniel february 9th yeah so, so is it duke university mayo is yeah that, they have like the little so. duke symbol on it nope no well, nothing really fancy some guy it, named duke I wonder if it's so, like a southern thing like you know, it's made in Richmond, Virginia. There, there you go. go. Yep. All right. Yep. So get your Duke's mayo gear. Oh, all the Gatorade bottles have mayo in them. <laughs> oh. Oh yeah, they, they got to just squirt it in their mouth. Can you imagine, like, like you you know, return a return a punt hundred yards? You're like, oh man, I really need a drink and just mouthful of mayo. Who is the? I, um, I think the better one would be if you miss a tackle. Ooh, you slippery like Duke's mayo. <laughs> <laughs> On the NFL game in the sideline, somebody was drinking that green juice, and they said it was pickle juice. Tyree Kill. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was the, like, and supposed to rehydrate. It was almost like he was hiding it too. It looked, it? Like, it, was it looked like a uh, it looked like an airplane uh, airplane liquor bottle. Yeah, that he was drinking out of, but it was uh, pickle juice. So maybe know? that'll be their trick. The Badgers uh, on the yeah. sidelines, they'll have pickle Duke's juice. Meal. You know yeah. how like some of the, I don't know if it's the Rose Bowl, they do a challenge of who can eat the most steak, the most roses. One of the bowls they did that. I wonder Forms like. So they have to do that for this one, like the offensive linemen. Have to, how much mayo? <laughs> yeah, mayo I eating contest. Ugh. Our big guys can eat more than your big guys. Guaranteed, 100%. The pride of Seymour, John Dietzen, he would yeah. put it down. Guaranteed. He was pretty pumped after that Axe game, man. Yeah, That meant a lot to him, I bet, to be out last year and then come back. And they looked okay Saturday, but... Is he a senior this year? Yeah. So he'll yeah. go to the draft after? He wow. was he was like chopping that. He that. gets a free year, though, so he could come back. True. Technically. Yes. That is eligibility, yeah. Well. And now they won. Our old buddy Bert is coming back to the uh, Big <laughs> Ten. Yeah, Bert Bielema. Got, got mm-hmm. sick of all the glory in the NFL and has to come back to college. Yeah. They said, yeah. They said Lovey Smith only had his. Last recruiting class only had two guys from Illinois on the whole signing class. Like, they cannot keep. So he's replacing Lovey Smith? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. My how the turntables. Yeah. And he's from Illinois, which I didn't know that. He's oh, from Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. Oh. From no Illinois, went to Iowa, and then obviously our way. Yeah. So he, they're saying he should have good inroads with the coaches association there, the high school. So yeah. he might. Not do too bad, actually, if he can keep guys in state going from going to Notre Dame or... There's no talent in Chicago, so I don't know what the big deal is. Right. I don't know. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Northwestern and and, uh, Notre Dame seem to get a lot of the Illinois kids. Yeah. Yeah, well, they... I mean, obviously, there's got to be talent right there because those two schools are right right there. there. They might as well be in-state rival. I mean, they are. Right. Yeah. Who knows? He'll he'll leave to some other school at right the before most, the Rose Bowl. And most inopportune. <laughs> yeah, right, right when things are going to get good, then yeah. he'll. Thanks fail. a lot, Brett. Brett, we'll never forget you, Bert. But hey, we did get uh, you know Brightside. We got Barry Alvarez to coach another game because of him. Yeah. so that was yeah. good. That was cool. I got to see a Barry game that I actually remember because I don't remember him from <laughs> when I was a kid. So. I got to see a Barry game. That was cool. My my best Barry Alvarez was his initial press conference when he, like back 92 or whenever he came. You'll see the clip a lot. He'll say, everybody better get tickets now because if you wait, 
they're going to be gone. You know, basically, like, mic drop, like... Colony shot. We suck now, but if you don't get tickets in a few years, you can't get them, you know, like, that's pretty cool. Hey, he wasn't wrong. Wasn't wrong. Yeah. All right, you guys ready to do this? Let's do it. All right, Bill, you had the topic for the day, so... I did. Record keeping. <clears throat> why, why, we do, why should we do it? What's why? Up? Well, I thought since last week we talked about risk management, and the week before... Remind me again what we talked about. The time management. Yes, time management. management. So I figured this would be in the ilk, not the belk. Data management. The ilk data management of (laughs) what we're talking about. So I thought we'd talk about why we keep records, what should we keep track of, how are you going to do that, and then what are we going to do with them or how can we assess them? You know, because obviously we can keep all the records, but you got to do something with it. So Yeah. Uh, a couple things I thought about why keeping records. Obviously, remember what we did last year. You know, we all um, think, oh, yeah, when we're doing this, we'll remember we applied this application on this date, and then you get two weeks later and you forgot which day you did did it or what you did. So obviously just tracking things you did during the crop season. Um, you can track your operational costs on inputs and things like that. Um, you can figure out if you made a profit or not, which – that's what we're all in this for is that's why we want to keep it to make sure we make a profit. Uh, do we need to change anything? So keep records. We know what we did. That didn't work. Let's change this specific thing. And then you can keep, you know, your averages of whatever you want to do over a 10 year span or a 20 year span or five, whatever years you want to do. So just a bunch of things. Why? I think why that is the most important one is that 10 year yield average is, extremely helpful when you're really talking yield goals and setting kind of a lot of times when you ask farmers for yield goals i feel it's quite arbitrary like oh yeah i, I usually do around whatever x y yeah. or if you knew your 10-year yield goal um you know you could you could throw out say drought years or or flood years but really having those both in there think of this year if you had a 10-year yield goal back to 2010 i mean we had a dry period in there of 2012, a real drought year, and then yep. two wet. really wet years. And I mean, it all kind of averages out that I, I feel like you really can use that number to make decisions on that following year. Um, even by field, that helps. I mean, say you want to set different populations or different sort of yield goals by field. If you knew your 10 year yield average by field, you'd really be able to, to decide that. And I think that would be helpful. In these days, this day and age, it's, so easy to there's so much technology and things that we could have at our disposal to keep those records so hopefully a lot of you are taking advantage of that and uh it's working out so um yeah those are i guess the reasons why i came up with you know why we should keep those records um they're helpful to go back always if you keep them you can always go back if you don't have them right you're just going off your memory and Let's be honest. Usually, it's not that great. Well, yeah, no, I, oh yeah, no, that was like 150 bushel corn on that field last year. That was soybeans last year. Oh, <laughs> uh, then, I, then I definitely grew 60 bushel beans. <laughs> I just, we just, I just went through this yesterday. We were um, trying to talk about, you know, picking out varieties for next year and what did good, what did bad, and we were talking. Well, that field did really good, and I'm pretty sure that was planted with X, Y, Z, and. I pulled up the records and no, that was, you know, that was over on the 40 over there. So it's good that we had the records and pretty good, pretty good uh, example. Yeah, no, that's, that's a big thing too with when you're keeping records, not just keeping track of what crop you're putting in, but varieties too, because 
variety selection can be a huge part, as we've talked in the past. So you want to make sure you're you're kind of tracking that. And if you're planting more than one variety in a field, keep track of that too. When it comes time for spray, we've we've all got caught in that situation of <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple bags of this that I I planted in there. Okay, where are they? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And all kind of mixed together. Was it Roundup Ready? Uh, no. So this field's like 80% Roundup Ready and 20% something else. Awesome. So it is now all something else. Yep. So now we can't spray Roundup. Yeah. I And the thing with keeping records, you know, why to keep them, we give those reasons. But I think the thing is to take the time, whenever that is, if that's in the winter when you're going through and planning things out, or if it's in season when you're in the field, Take that extra minute or five minutes. I know it seems like a lot when you're sitting in that tractor cab. And take as much detail as you can because there's always going to be there's going to be a time when you want to look back and say, oh, what was the weather that day or what was this or what was that? And you're like, oh, I just took I just recorded the variety and the date. Yeah, I didn't record anything else, you know, and sometimes even. You know, farmers are pretty good at remembering, like, which way in the field. Like, I went in the field and I went this way. But even, like, a herbicide injury or planting or something is, you you might even take a record of, here's where I started and this is the direction I went, you know, to kind of give you an idea of where you started, where you ended. Those kinds of things can sometimes be important, too, because you have a problem and you can kind of dissect it based on, how you started, how you finished, those kinds of directional things too, even something as simple as that. Yeah, so when you're just besides the, the inputs of seed, what you put down fertilizer, I mean, most guys can't seem to remember their starter. Like, yeah, whatever the co-op, whatever they got, that's what I use. You know, weather makes a big difference. I mean, if it was really, really wet when you planted, I've had fields where you get planted the next day, we get a deluge of rain and you know you dig the seed trench and it's just flooded (laughs) that's going to have a pretty big impact on how that seed performs so i've got a farmer that keeps a notebook in his pocket and every day he writes down the weather yeah he's got like 30 years of just like what is he writing down like high and low yeah he writes down high low if it rained what was like was it sunny today was it windy was it cloudy just general like weatherman type stuff but he's got he could go back to 1985 and he'd have on december 23rd 1985 what it was yeah my wife's stepdad does that too he's i don't know how many years he's gone on but he he does that every day when he he records the weather Kinda never cool. know when that information's going to come in handy well, when you think about it, you can look at your weather history but it's it's all tied to a weather station a lot of times at airport so if I'm 50 miles from the airport, what their weather was isn't necessarily exactly the same as no. what I had. Temperatures, yeah, that's probably going to be the same, but precipitation, all that other stuff, yep, it's going to change quite a bit. I believe it was Pete Petoniak was talking about this, <laughs> um, how I think it was about 50 years ago, the the airport was in a different spot Sure, in Austin Schraubel, Green Bay's airport. So if you go back, some of that old weather stuff really isn't the same as the more recent because they moved... Move the location. Where, yeah, yeah, where they were. Hmm. Because they just showed, like, oh, it was that much colder, I think, you know, in those, say, 50 years before, but it was closer to the lake or something like that. So, Matt, you're right in a lot of ways that a lot of times we look at historic weather from the airport weather stations that NOAA has, and that isn't always the best to, to look at. Yeah. 
So what should we keep track of? I've got a list here, no particular order, and I'm sure I missed some things. You know, there's oodles of things, but things I've got here is is crop inputs. Those are the easy ones, right? Like seed, what you paid for the seed, who you bought it from, what variety, of course, maybe seed size. Maybe you want to keep track of seed size so you can monitor plantability. Um, crop protection, you know, whether that's fungicide, insecticide, and herbicide obviously are the big three so keep track of what you spray to protect your crops once you've got them in the ground and then then fertilizer you know keep track of of what uh analysis you're spreading and application rates and times and did you incorporate did you not did you use an inhibitor did you not those kinds of things are important uh weather we just talked about that temperature rainfall i don't know how gdus would fit in there as yeah. well so just yep. You know, some of these end-of-the-season ones are nice of, like, you know, I planted this state, harvested around this state. We had 2,200 GDUs, and that can vary year-to-year then, and you can see differences that way. How many times do we sit down with seed folks, and they're like, yeah, this is a 95-day, but it really acts like a 97-day. Or, you when, know, or when you see one that's a 106-day silage variety and a 100-day grain variety, and you're like, wait a second. Right. <laughs> So, I mean, maybe that, Todd, doing the GDUs, kind of you I, can match up your varieties with Right, if you had your 10-year 10, get. 10 GDU average again, you right. could yep. say, yep, I get 2,200 GDUs. I'm going to plant this a 95-day. Yep. Well, and even day length, they, they're kind of arbitrary to GDUs. So then you could really use the GDU to black layer to decide. Yeah, because depending on the company, your relative maturity may differ in your GDUs just because... It seems like everybody's got a variety that, oh, this is a 94-day, but it acts like a 98-day. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's to either direction from what it's actually listed at. So it could, you know, that's a five-day you know five day span. That's uh, something, to, something that makes a difference. So you want to, if I told you 90-day corn, 95-day corn, those are two completely different products. Yeah, when it gets to October, that makes a big <laughs> difference. Yeah. We don't have five days anymore, so you got to have that figured out. And this October, we didn't. Uh, we were so cold; it didn't do anything. We weren't gaining GDUs by any means. But no. hey, November was super warm, so yeah. that was good. Yeah, if your cord was still there in November and still alive somehow. I put my Christmas lights up in November in my shorts this year. It was awesome. Nice. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, field operations. Some other things keep track of planting. Obviously, we've talked about that tillage. Um. You know, what What did you use? Did you go once? Did you go twice? Did you go nuns? That's not a word, but... Four times. Right. Recreational. <laughs> Do I hear five? Yeah. <laughs> Spraying, side dressing, nitrogen, some other things to keep track of. Manure, I know as agronomists, we're, we really appreciate when <laughs> farmers take ad- accurate and adequate <laughs> records for manure. Yeah, but good manure log is, is important. DNR likes it too. Mm-hmm. If we get those dialed in, that's really helpful. Yep. On uh, soil sampling, you know, as we're doing a lot of that, I think, for our, our clients, but um, keeping track of when those need to be be redone. Um, harvest data. So countless ways to do that. Um, the old school way slips. Now we have all this yield monitor technology, so our combines are, are taking that data. And um, a lot of times... You know, depending on the service you buy, they're popping it right back to an iPad that you can look in your office with your, whoever you want to look at it with, and it's right at the tip of your hands. Yep. Um, or even just count loads. I know it's not as 
easy as not as accurate, but at least we got an idea of how many loads, you know, and before yield monitors and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure a lot of farms did that. You knew that if it was this field, we got this many loads. Last year, we got this many less loads or whatever it was, you know, just, just to give you an idea if it's... I think loads actually can be quite helpful because you can tie it back to the field, get a yield on that, yeah. and really, like with yield monitors, those are helpful, but we have all those fancy maps, and it's hard to wade through so much data. It's almost, it's a lot of data points to kind of wade through, whereas loads is usually just a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, especially if you got smaller field sizes. As you get bigger fields, obviously, then having a yield data helps, but small 20-acre field, you know, just knowing the total yield is fine. Yeah, I, I, when I used to work for one of your clients, Bill, who did custom harvesting, that was there was a notebook in every tractor, and when you ran, that's you kept hours and track of loads, and that's how you'd add things up at the end of the day. So when did you mark the load? When you dumped it? <clears throat> when you started? I see that's what would be me. I'd be like, oh crap, forgot to mark that one down. It's like you almost got to mark it the exact same time every time you. Usually it was the the guy in the chopper would mark it. And then in that wagon, you would mark. So that way you could justify at the end, okay, chopper had X number of loads, but the wagons added up to this many, and then you knew either somebody missed a load or sure. maybe marked down an extra load or something like that. So you had something to go back against. I'll tell you what, keeping it simple is, like you guys said, when they tell you I had four loads on this field at first crop, I had three loads on second crop, and third crop, I didn't even get a full load. That's pretty. I don't really. I don't really need to hear what the actual, you know, tons per acre came out to. I know that we started to drag by third crop. I mean, that's pretty. Pretty simple math there. Yep. yep. Or it didn't rain. Or or it didn't rain. Something. We, else. we had an issue. That's basically what it comes yeah. down to. And you know, not every farm obviously has a scale or easy access to a scale. So sometimes that's the best. The best bet anyway. You know, can't run to town for every load. Right. To weigh up. So a few other things, uh, crop insurance, data that the crop insurance company would need or what kind of coverage you have, those kinds of things. Um, rent, you know, obviously it's always good to know what you're paying for rent and whether you decide to talk t about what you're paying for rent with your advisors or not. Um, obviously that's a personal decision, but keeping track of rent and then labor costs, you know, I think, especially if you're a a farm that's maybe smaller and doesn't have a lot of employees. Maybe you don't track labor on, on what things cost you, but even yourself costs you something. You may not mark that in a book. You may not pay yourself a, a salary every week like you have to your employees, but your labor does cost you something because you could be do some, doing something else. And like we've talked in the past two weeks of how you can make that labor more efficient is always important. I think it's worth noting not just to um, mark down your labor as far as what it costs you, but being very specific as to who did um, a certain task. Because when there's a problem, you want to be able to talk to, you know, who was actually directly involved yeah, who with was in the planter. Who yep. was, yeah. Hey, something went wrong with the planter. Well, it doesn't do you any good to talk to Bob when Joe was the one planting. Yeah. You know, so keeping track of who did what job is, uh, to me anyway, going back and trying to track stuff down. That's a pretty big, pretty big step we can take to help ourselves out totally unrelated but todd can todd can agree with me here is the the ffa alumni puts an auction on every year and we have 
hundreds of thousands of items that go through the auction. And we get to the back end and we're reconciling the books and we're like, I don't know where this, what this is or that is. And well, yeah, but Jim was the one that watched it go out the yard or Jim was the one that was the auctioneer, whatever, just, he was the one that did it. And he can remember that that was a, it's marked down as some type of a welder, but it was actually something else. You know what I mean? Like going to the person that did the work, they're going to remember most likely what they did. And you, you guys do run a three ring circus over there at that event. That is uh <laughs> checking those books at the end of the day has got to be quite the job box of <laughs> crap. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. A lot, yeah, a lot of those, a lot, lot of, of this, you know, and a <laughs> lot of dusty stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But it's just, it's funny cause you can go back to the person that maybe saw that load go out the gate and they can say like, yep, that was on the truck. That was on the truck. That was on the truck. And the same with, you know, if you got 10 employees, go to that one employee that feeds all day long. They're going to know that the feed bin broke for whatever reason, you know, so things like that. And then I think for me sitting back as an agronomist, trying to think about things that would help me when we come to our accounts every year and talk about how we could change things or what went right, what went wrong for the years, just general observations when you're in the combine or when you're chopper. Like weed escapes, you know, was there a certain part of the field that was particular bad this year? Maybe that part of the field is always bad. Um, was it a certain weed? Those kinds of things. Um, lodged corn, you know, whether it was animal damage or whatever, or maybe it was a big windstorm, but those kinds of things also can help because you're, when you're in that chopper or that combine, you're across every stinking inch, so you're going to see everything. Um, animal damage, insect damage, those kinds of things help. And then maybe compaction. Maybe there's maybe there's a, a pattern you see sitting in that seed in the combine that you can say, yep, this is compaction, and here's how it went. You know, take those notes when you're in the combine because it's fresh in your mind. I know I had a farmer I was talking to the other day, and he's like, yeah, my, my corn yielded okay. And I was waiting for the, like, What's what? What did we do wrong or whatever? And then he's like, "But I had a lot of drown outs." It's like, "Well, yeah, that'll that'll knock it down, and we can't can't out out you know can't just fertilize drown outs more because they're dead." So you know, keeping track of that kind of things helps you remember. Like, "Oh, my yields were crappy, but it was because of this." Six percent of the field was gone, right? Right. Yeah. And you, this year was like there or it was gone. It wasn't like, like was some a, years we just get oh that was crappy or stunted corn. or yeah yeah. 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 It was feast or famine. Yeah. The stuff that made it seemed like it did all right, but that stuff that went out early, that was that was dead. It was gone. Yeah, I think on that, having a yearly recap, so just, you know, one-page thing where you do like Matt said and maybe write down, you know, things that you could remember at the end of the year and just recap it so 10 years from now you could, like, oh, what happened in 2020 again and look back um, and have that recap. So, Bill, how how what's a good way to keep these records yeah, I, there's a lot of ways, but I think three main things that I came up with that I've seen done. Old school, paper, notebook, binder, whatever, write it down, right? Put it in the tractor cab, it's dirty, you know, but you know it's there. Um, and if you don't lose it or get it wet or whatever, it's going to be there for it's, you. Yeah, you're not going to... It's not going to crash. <laughs> right. Um, you're, yeah, not gonna, you're not going to forget your password? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Yeah, shoot. Uh, is it this way? Is it open this way? Um, yeah. So, I mean, just I know a lot of guys do that, just a simple notebook. And I've done that, too, for clients, like made up spreading log books with restriction maps <coughs> and a spot to record their manure applications and things like that. So that that's still the easiest, cost-effective way to do it. Um, we've also used note-taking apps on your phone. Now everything is going digital on your phone. I've used... Evernote, or um, I know Microsoft has a OneNote, and those are kind of apps or software that you can look at in multiple platforms. So, you know, if you have multiple employees, they all can put Evernote on their phone, and you can take a note, and you can sync it, and then all the employees can see it, or the manager can see it. Um, So those work work decently well. Um, So you can sync across devices, and you can use tablets or, or your phone. And then, of course, there's the proprietary software. Um, no particular order, um, just things like John Deere Operations Center. I know FarmWorks has a program, uh, Climate, you know, those kinds of those kind of um, fee-based systems where you pay a fee and you have a lots of different um, record-keeping software at, at your hands. Um, but there again, that you're going to have to buy hardware and subscription fees and those kinds of things. So I guess you just have to tailor whichever system that works best for you and what you're looking to get out of it is probably a bigger thing. Bigger thing. The uh, software end of it, you know, you're going to be able to get reports and a lot more stuff out of it versus your notebook, but they all have a place. Sometimes I think it actually makes them easier to forget about too. Is you're like, oh, it's all on there, so I don't have to do anything with it. And then... Pretty soon you got three, four years of data on your monitor and you're never taking it off and then it crashes and then you've just lost everything. Right. Or, so it's important, yeah, like Todd said, yearly recap. I think part of that too, if you're keeping data on these monitors or in these places to make sure you either make a report and print it off or or back it up back somewhere it, so that you've got back it. Back it up. Back it up. And then you'll monitor, you know, monitors, whatever you have in your tractor, those kinds of things are going to help with that that subscription-based um, software. And in looking at some of the different softwares, they all have little different things that they do. So you probably just need to kind of pick and choose what you're interested in keeping track of and what's important to you, and then looking to tailor those that software, picking the one that fits your needs the best. So, and I think lastly, we have all these records We've done our due diligence all summer long. We've taken the time to write everything down. Now what do we do with it? Well, you can assess it. You can look through it. You can decide how it went and how you want to change. But there's also people you can look to consult to to help you through those things. Um, Agronomists like us, whether they're independent or an industry person at a co-op, you know, they can help you go through your records and decide um, how it went and what you want to change and those kinds of things. Um, I've been in meetings where the banker's been involved, you know, so they, you know, those folks can help. Um, they're going to obviously look specifically, obviously at at the dollars and may not have the the agriculture knowledge behind it to be able to decide, but at least they're there to help you with financials. And then crop insurance agents, and I'm sure there's multiple other people that that we can talk to to help you assess what you've done. 
yeah, I think it's important to to realize too that you know your financial stuff that's probably for the banker. You know, you can split this out into different things as you're meeting with you know different groups, your chemical reports and that kind of stuff that your agronomist and your you know if you're working with a co-op. Crop insurance, obviously, they're going to want to know. You have to report different data to them, and they can provide you with data back. So um, it is kind of a team effort with record keeping. A lot of times it doesn't all have to lay on you. You know, you can rely on other support people in, in these situations. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've like I said, I've been in lots of meetings with, you know, an egg financial advisor or an egg you know, just the banker and the veterinarian and those kind of people, nutritionists. So sometimes you're right, Matt. It does take take a group. I got one more, one more little tidbit tidbit to add that I've I've um, been trying to be more cognizant of is when we make a decision um, over the phone or talking in person, get it on paper somewhere right away so that there's a there's a trail to every decision that's made. So mm-hmm. if you know, I talk to the farm and then I talk to the guy at the co-op and we agree that we're going to spread X amount of pounds of potash. I'm going to make sure that I still send, even though the co-op already knows, I'm going to still send another email that says, this is the decision, this is how we made it, and this is what we got to do. Yeah. So that way, if there's any questions, we can, it's not just, well, we talked that one day, remember at the gas station we talked? No, we have the actual, um, the actual you know, conversation saved. Makes sense. Yeah, so there you go. Make sure you're keeping records, and no matter how you keep them, whether it's with a monitor or on paper or through some other type of note-taking device, keep good records, as much detail as you can, and make sure you back it up. So now we'll move on to our spotlight for today. Today we're going to talk about male water hemp and palmer amaranth make how they may hold the key to their own demise. And personally, I really like the first sentence of this story. Scientists are getting closer to finding the genes for maleness in water hemp and palmer. So Check your maleness, Matt. Yep, you've got to have that. Those In this case, we, we want more men out in the field. And the sole reason is because they can't reproduce with each other. So uh, finding those genetic markers for male plants and getting the plants to produce more male plants would help us greatly in lowering the amount of seed we see out of the plants over time. So um, if they knew which genes they could control and make those proliferate within the population, every plant in the field would be male after a few generations, and theoretically we would see a population crash, says Pat Trinnell of University of Illinois weed scientist and lead author in a study in New Phytologist. So, yeah, if we could just figure out how to make all Palmer and water hemp plants male, job done. We can go home. Yeah, snap your fingers. Let's go. <laughs> Get it done. It doesn't sound as... It sounds a lot, sounds easier, a lot easier than what it probably than is the in the real world. Yep. It is interesting because not many weeds are dioecious in this case where they have a yep. male and a female. Some are. I mean, uh, horsetail comes to mind. I yep. know that's got a male and a female. Yep. But, yeah, that this has that unique uh, ph- phenology that it kind of has that dioecious. That, that is interesting that that's the way we could attack it. Yeah, so if we can figure out a way to put something out there that will trigger those male genes, then 
could go a long way towards reducing those populations. So, yeah, thought that was interesting. Now we'll move into our egg history minute. Gotta love some banjo. All right. So today we're talking about the history of yield monitors. And for that, we have to go back, back into time to the 1990s. Ooh. The long time ago, <laughs> like super old. Like if you were born before that, like you could already be like retired and like have an AARP card. Like that's super old if, you know, before that, like way, like really old. Not, not quite, but 30 Re- years No, ago. really old. It is 30 years ago. So the industry's first yield monitor was released by Ag Leader in 1992, the Yield Monitor 2000. And I feel like that's everything in the 90s was the XYZ 2000. <laughs> yeah. Yield Monitor 2000. In the year 2000. Sorry, I don't want to rip off Conan O'Brien. Give him credit. Uh, so it featured a simple screen and tracked average moisture percent, total weight, total bushels, and average bushels per acre. Numbers could be calculated for the entire field or broken down by load or even per combine pass. No way. Did you ever get data out of one of those, Bill? No. I have. And have they, you? they were kind of sweet. I mean, it? it was <laughs> simple, right? Oh, yeah. I, I've, I've seen them in tractors yet. I mean, yeah. No, it, but it, it was ahead of its time in a lot of ways that it was a pretty nice unit to be the first one. Yeah. Even though they released it in 92, they didn't really start selling them until 96. And it quickly became popular with growers. Additionally, they ran several, uh, Egg Leader ran promotions pairing Yield Monitor with a newfangled GPS system. Ooh. I'm not sure what that stands for, uh, but <laughs> sounds pretty cool. Sounds like good things happened in 96. I don't yeah. know. Max being born. Packers won the Super Bowl. Yep. Yield monitors being invented. Yep, and GPS systems. I think, stra- I think Strawberry Wine was released by Dina Carter in 96. <laughs> <laughs> so. Strawberry Wine. Yep, good song. I think 96. I could be wrong, though. So there you go. Our first yield monitors were in the early 90s. So. All right, if you'd like to find somebody to get your yield data off your monitor, please go to naicc.org, and there you'll find an independent crop consultant in your area. And please subscribe to the podcast. We don't ask you to pay nothing. You just tell a friend for Christmas, like, hey, you're bored over Christmas because you can't get together with family as much, all that stuff. Just just uh, become a subscriber to the podcast. And Matt, where can they find us? Yeah, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right, it's that time again to do some current events. So some cool beans, and that's corny. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. And our cool beans for this Christmas week, in the spirit of giving, John Deere donates $1 million to the National FFA Organization. You did it wrong, Matt. $1 million. Oh, sorry. $1 million. <clears throat> so for 77 years, John Deere's worked side by side with National FFA and with the effort looking to encourage next generation of leaders and strengthen the agriculture industry. Building on its legacy of support, John Deere donated a million dollars for next year, 2021, to help support National FFA organization's mission to make a positive difference. And this has been going on, this partnership. John Deere's initial contribution of $1,000 in 1943 and has continued to donate over the past, let's see, 
43 and we're in 2020, so that'd be 80-ish years, 70, 80 years, yeah, yeah. 70, for 77 years. It's earlier. It's right there in the article. <laughs> it's literally the first thing that's <laughs> written in the article. <laughs> it's donated over $16 million to the National FFA Foundation, so pretty cool. That's cool. Cool beans. Cool beans indeed. And with our cool beans comes our That's Corny, and this week's That's Corny are... Tyson Foods fires seven in a COVID betting pool. So Tyson Foods, the biggest U.S. meat processor, said on Wednesday it fired seven management employees at its hog slaughter plant in Waterloo, Iowa, following allegations that plant manager Tom Hart had organized a betting pool over how many of the plant's employees would become ill with COVID-19. Oof. Ouch. Yeah, so. I, feel, I feel like this happens a lot. Like, it, you know, just whatever. But this just is a really bad look. <laughs> this is tough. Yeah. Wow. Going through a pandemic. Oh. Uh, the investigation resulted from a lawsuit by, filed by a worker of that plant who died of COVID-19. So, mm. yeah, apparently, I don't know if it was. That's tough. Yeah, I don't. Oh, just an all around bad story. You don't want the family of someone who's lost a a member to a disease to find out that you were betting on how many, what the, you know, what's the over under on how many you're going to get sick. So, well, that's kind of where like a lot of this started, right? Like a lot of like these large processing plants where it flared up was a lot of these meat plants. So, yeah, just ouch. So that is take your betting to Vegas on sports, not yep, yeah, stick to COVID. The, stick to sports. Stick to yeah, basketball, football, national anthem links, any kind of stuff you want it. Super Bowls, prop bets, prop bets. Big prop bet guy. Yeah, I like looking at the props. What's your favorite? One? I mean, we can't we can't bet in Wisconsin, so obviously I can't do anything about it. But I like looking at the props. I like the uh, number of field goals in prime time for a week. Really, that's a good one. I like that one. Um, I like the weird ones, like the really weird ones. Uh, there's one called uh, um, by Barstool Sports. They call it the Hanson, and it's an over for the entire slate of games from Thursday through Sunday, um, or through Monday night. So you're watching the over like to- for total total, scores. total total score total score of over, all the games, all the games. Yeah, wow, wow. That's a fun one to cheer for because you're cheering for points. Yeah, no right. matter what. So mine is over under on the national anthem at the Super Bowl. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah, it makes you wonder if the singers like check that right before they go out there and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna screw some people over this year." <laughs> see where see where the people's money's at. See how long I can hold that note. Really hold out that brave, you know, at the end, just let that slide. All right, now, let's wrap her up today with some ag idiom of the week. So, what do you got there, Bill? Born in a barn. What were you born in a barn? Yes, pretty much. I feel like I say that every day in my household. Whether that's like the the door, you know, yep. um, or lights. I don't know if your kids, like my kids do not turn lights out and it just drives me bananas. I know electricity is not that expensive, but put all LEDs in your house. Yeah, right I guess so. <laughs> so after you yell at them about, uh, you know, wasting electricity, you tell them to get off your lawn too, old man, or what the heck? <laughs> Darn Fast forward 10 he's, years, Max, you'll be in got, the same boat. These gosh dang kids and their newfangled things. Like they Bill's can just leave out the watching on. the meter. Just, I am. Yeah, <laughs> the meter. Well, no, it's just digital. Just yelling, so just yeah. just yelling just at them. 
Yeah, when his lawn was new, yes, he was yelling at the kids, get, get off, off my lawn. lawn. I do, yes, yes. So originally used to say you left the door open, you know, based on the fact that barn doors were left open by farmers to let animals in or out, which I thought was interesting. Usually you think about you leave the door open to let the animals out, but of course, if they're on pasture, you may leave, leave it open. open to let them in. Yeah. That was, there was two things that got my dad out of bed, and I probably said this before, but one was the fire alarm on the on the barn, you know, to, if there was a fire. The other one was if someone said the cows were out. So we were we were never born in the barn because we did not want those cows I, out. I think like I I think about when my grandma and grandpa were still farming, and it was a it was a stone cold fact you did not leave the barn door open. Grandma was on that. So like the whole born in the barn thing that didn't fly with no. us. It was like that barn door better be closed. Better be closed. Interestingly, good good advice. In farming, and also for your pants. Make sure you keep, <laughs> keep that, that barn, barn door closed. <laughs> more recently, this this uh, idiom has been used a little more derogatory, which I found interesting. It's been used to simply indicate that a person is ignorant or uneducated as if they were brought up on a farm, which obviously we all know that <laughs> farmers are not either of those things. But that was more of a urban in the urban dictionary. Mm. So kind of, yeah. So mm. it's really cold outside. You left the door open. Were you born in a barn, Max? I was not. Nope. So there you go. All right. That'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So we talked about record keeping, why to keep them, what you should keep track of, and how you can keep track of them. In our spotlight, we looked at Scientists studying male water hemp genes and pomeranth genes to hopefully help eradicate that pest. History Minute, we talked about the history of egg, egg leader yield monitors, the first one to be released in the 90s. Cool beans, that's corny. John Deere had our cool beans with a million-dollar donation to National FFA. Our that's corny was the COVID betting pool at Tyson Foods. And we finished it up with Egg idiom, born in a barn. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming. <laughs>